Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Again, I want to thank all of you for watching this 930 service, and really this pandemic has created this social exile where we're having to socially distant Uh, distance ourselves from one another and uh, hopefully all of this will be coming to an end before too long but I am uh, certainly convinced that in this period of time if we allow it God can do some significant things in our life when you look into the Bible there are times when God's people have been in solitude when they have been separated when they have been in exile that he did some amazing and some remarkable things And so I thought we might study during this period of time in our history and the life of our church some of these significant moments in Scripture where God did some amazing things, some uh, uh, extraordinary things when his people were in exile, when they were socially distancing themselves from their normal life and their normal routine. And so I want to look at an example of that this morning by kind of circling back to that upper room experience that our our Lord had with his apostles. And we talked about that a lot last weekend, particularly in our, our Good Friday service, and how Jesus had prepared a room. And this room was very special because in this place where he was going to meet with his apostles, these guys for a a period of time were going to be what I'm calling this morning exiled in his presence exile in his presence. And I want to hopefully establish uh, some principles for us to consider. I hope you can adapt some new disciplines for your life that will enable you to be stronger as an individual, to be stronger as a Christian, that your family will be stronger through this time of, of social separation that we're experiencing, where you can develop some positive biblical disciplines that you will actually be able to carry on once this time and once this period has ended. So you think about the upper room. You think about this room that Jesus had prepared for his disciples. Now, you have to understand the significance of this place given uh, what they were going through each and every day of their, of their life. Once Jesus bursts on the scene and his earthly ministry begins, when John recognized him in John 2 and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At that moment, Jesus stepped from anonymity into the public spotlight. And when you follow the ministry of Jesus, everywhere he went, crowds gathered. And as his apostles would follow and assist him and minister with him, there, there was a, a constant pressure that was on them because of the needs of the people. The problems that the people had were so great, and they knew Jesus was the problem solver. They knew he was the burden lifter. They understood he was the sin forgiver. So if you were struggling, he was the one you would want to be around. He was the one you want to be with. And so the apostles were constantly feeling the pressure of people who were trying to get at them so they could get to Jesus. And so this enormous pressure was constant. 
And Jesus was about to complete his earthly ministry. He was about to transfer that leadership over to his apostles. And he knew for these guys to be able to stand up under the pressure that they were going to be uh, dealing with, they needed some disciplines. They would need to find a place of solitude, a place of exile, if you will, so that they could be replenished and they could be refreshed. So in this upper room, Jesus is going to teach some principles to his disciples that I hope you and I can learn from even today. Because as life goes on, we're all faced with pressure. Your pressure may not be mine, but you have pressure. And once our lives resume, and once we're be able to get back out into the real world and engage again, the pressures are going to be there. You're going to have personal pressure and financial pressure and business pressure and family pressure and relational pressure. So I'm saying if we can adopt the disciplines that Jesus was teaching his disciples, that how we can gain strength and we can be replenished in private, it will sustain us when we go out and do our lives in public. And so notice our text with me for a little while this morning, Luke chapter 22, verse 10. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, behold, when you have entered a city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you will say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And verse 12, then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready now the gospels record what happened but i want to set the context for you again jesus had this room he had it identified this room was prepared for his disciples and for a little while these guys were going to have the opportunity to close out all the pressures of the world around them they would ascend some stairs they would go into a room they would close the door and they would be alone in the presence of Jesus. And they would have the world's pressure on the outside. Don't miss that. They would have all the problems on the outside and there on the inside of that room, they were going to be alone with Jesus and they were gonna be in his presence. And that upper room became a very special place. It became a hallowed place. It became a holy place. And as we'll see in our time together this morning, they would go back to that place several times. It was established for them in their mind and through their experience with Jesus, I need to get back to this place. I need to get back to this place where I connected with him. I, I need to get back to this place where I communed with him. The pressures of the world are so great. I need to get back to this private place where I was experiencing his presence. And one of the things this room became for these disciples, one of the things this room did for these disciples is this. Listen, it became a place of consecration, a place of consecration. That word carries with it the idea of being set aside, set apart. Uh, I would say a special place, a spiritual place. This place, this upper room that Jesus established for his disciples, this special place was a place of consecration. In fact, when you read the record and you see what happened in that upper room as they're sitting around the table, you remember Jesus says to them, one of you guys around this table will betray me. Can you imagine? You talk about the oxygen going out of the room. I mean, these guys have been close. <laughs> they had followed Jesus for three years. They felt like they had one another's backs. They felt like if anyone could be trusted, it would be the boys around the table, right? 
And Jesus looks at them and astonishingly he says to them, one of you around this uh, table will betray me. And what's interesting about it and the reason uh, I think this is so significant was their response to what he said. Here's what they didn't say. They didn't say, well, I think it's uh, Simon Peter, you know. He's always trying to be in the lead and he's always trying to take charge. Has to be Simon Peter. No one pointed around the table and pointed at another apostle and said, oh, it had to be him. It had to be that one. It had to be the other one. It had to be John. John's always trying to kiss up to Jesus, teacher's pet. Had to be John. No, no that, that's not what happened. When you read how Matthew records it in Matthew 26, verse 23, each of the disciples, when they heard him say this, they said, Lord, is it I? Is it me? <laughs> and one of the first things, ladies and gentlemen, that happened in this place of consecration was it was a place of heart searching. Heart searching. Here's the principle I don't want you to miss this morning. When you and I get in the presence of Jesus, we don't see the problems of other people. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you don't look down at other people. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you don't throw stones at the sins of other people. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you are fixated and focused on your own flaws. You're looking into the perfect mirror. I mean, what we often do when we're trying to feel better about ourselves is we, we compare ourselves with other people. Then we say, well, you know, compared to that guy, I'm doing pretty good. Compared to her, I think my life is together. That's a terrible thing to do. Paul said, if you compare yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. But man, when you get into the presence of perfection, Jesus was perfection. Just as much man as though he were never God, but just as much God as though he were never man. When you're looking into the face of Jesus and you're looking into the face of perfection, what is reflected is your imperfection. You don't see the problems of other people, you see your own stuff. That's why when you see someone who's gossiping and judgmental and critical of other people, it's indicative of the fact they hadn't spent any time in his presence. When you're in the presence of God, you have a, a, an awareness of the issues in your own life. And man, these guys were searching their hearts. Lord, one of us will betray, is it me? I mean, they recognized they had the potential they had the uh, proclivity, they, they had uh, this, this uh, nature within them that certainly could turn on the Lord, that could certainly walk away from him. And so they were being uh, honest with themselves as they were being honest with their God by saying, is it I? It reminds me of Isaiah. Remember, if you read the book of Isaiah, the first five chapters of Isaiah, it's marked by this expression, woe is unto you. Now that was an Old Testament uh, expression that the prophets would use. And the expression just simply meant, hey man, if you don't get your act together, trouble is coming your way, loosely translated. I mean, if you don't change your ways, you're headed for some trouble. You are cruising for a bruising. Woe is unto you. And for five chapters of Isaiah's book, that's what he's doing. He's got his long, long bony finger pointed in the nose of other people, pointing out all the things that they're doing wrong. And so he's hard on people. He's preaching hard those first five chapters, but something remarkable happens to Isaiah, and I don't want you to miss this, in Isaiah six. Uh, the king dies, Uzziah. Isaiah and Uzziah were cousins. Isaiah obviously looked up to Uzziah, he admired him. In many ways, Uzziah was probably a mentor to Isaiah. And when Isaiah went through this 
heartbreaking, soul-crushing experience of losing someone he loved. All of a sudden, he gets a vision of God, and he sees God in his brokenness as he's never seen him before. And chapter 6 of Isaiah opens this way. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said his train filled the temple and above it flew the seraphims and each one had six wings and with two of the wings they covered their face and with two of the wings they covered their feet and with two of their wings they did fly. And he sees this vision of, the, of these angels flying around the throne of God and the house that is inhabiting the presence of God is filled with smoke and the post of the door moves at the voice of what they're saying and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah said, when I saw God as he is, I saw myself as I am. And man, when you read Isaiah 6, verse 5, he says, no longer woe is you, get this. He said, woe is me. <laughs> woe is me. What happened to him? He got his eyes on Jesus. I mean, and it became a place of consecration. It became a place where he was honest with himself. And he said, I've been so hard on everybody else and angry at the world when the problem is me. And let me tell you something, when you're the problem, no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> Until you deal with you, nothing else in the world is gonna be right. And I'm saying, if you will establish a place, an upper room, if you will, if you will establish a place where you meet with God, a place of consecration, it will become a place of heart searching. You look at what else happened in that place of consecration. It also became a place of soul feeding. Jesus began to teach them uh, the Old Testament scriptures concerning the cross and the significance of his death. What's the principle? The principle is this place of consecration becomes a place where you feed your soul where you have an opportunity for God to pour into you through his word. Now, that's, caught, that's really what I'm doing this morning. And the problem is, oftentimes with people in my profession, is so many times the only time we're in his word is when we're preparing it for someone else. And when you are in the word to prepare for someone else, sometimes you don't eat yourself. And so I'm just suggesting to you that as you go about your day and you're doing what you're doing for your spouse and for your children and for your business and you're doing what you're doing for other people, you need to be careful that you're taking care of yourself. And one of the things you have to do is look at your diet and you have to realize I'm spiritual just as I'm physical. I'm spiritual just as I'm emotional. Am I feeding my spiritual self? And we try to find through our virtual Bible studies and different ways that we can communicate, we try to help you feed you spiritually. But listen, here's the key. If you're going to grow spiritually, you got to learn to cook for yourself. <laughs> you're going to have to eat on your own. I wish I could be there and cook some spiritual food for you every day, but it's just not possible. What you've got to do is you've got to get in the spiritual kitchen of God's word and begin to learn how to feed yourself. And in that place of consecration, you can open God's word and you can simply pray, God, speak to me from your word. And you'll find if you open your heart to the word of God, it's life. The word of God is quick, it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This word has a, a power with it when you read it that will transform your life. So understand what happened in that upper room. It was a place of consecration where their hearts were searched, where their souls were fed. Not only that, the Bible said it became a place of foot washing. 
<laughs> foot washing. Now, some churches have taken this as a, an ordinance of their church, and they incorporate into their regular worship a time where they wash each other's feet. Now, don't get me wrong. As I've said before, I think everybody ought to wash their feet. I don't know that that's a necessary part of a worship experience. Here's the principle that Jesus was teaching when he washed their feet. The feet of the disciples, get this, represented the part of them that would come in contact every day with a dirty world. Here's the principle. You and I cannot keep ourselves clean when we come in contact every day with a dirty world. So it's not like I have to be saved all over again. In fact, when uh, Peter thought that, he goes, Lord, just bathe me all over if I, if I can't fellowship with you. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not what you need. You've already been saved. You don't need to be bathed all over. You just need the part of you that's in touch with the dirty world cleansed so I can fellowship with you. So the principle is, ladies and gentlemen, in a place of consecration, when I'm searching my heart and I'm in his word, he reveals to me areas of my life that need to be cleansed, Right? My attitude, maybe, my critical spirit, my pride, my arrogance. I mean, there's so many things that we may not be aware of until we slow life down enough to get into the presence of God and give him an opportunity to reveal these things to us. And then once we're aware of it, just deal with it. You know what confession is? It's a simple word. It means agreement. Agreement. When I confess, I'm saying, God, you were right, I'm wrong. And 1 John 1, 9 is written to Christ's followers. And he says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, again, it has nothing to do with my eternal destiny. I'm saved. I'm eternally secure. If you've trusted Jesus, you are saved. You are eternally secure. Has nothing to do, listen, with relationship. Has everything to do with fellowship. There's a difference. You're in your living room this morning or wherever you're watching the services or wherever you will watch the service. Listen, you can be in a relationship with someone and love someone, but not like them very much. Some of you going quarantine crazy. I mean, you can be in relationship and out of fellowship. And if that can happen in your home, it can happen with your relationship with God. That's why you got to keep your feet clean. <laughs> That's why you have to allow him to search your heart. So it doesn't affect relationship, but it sure affects fellowship. And so in that upper room, that place of consecration, it became a place of heart searching, a soul feeding, a foot washing. Fourth thing that happened in that place, that place of consecration, is it became a place, get this, of Jesus worshiping. The Bible says they sang. He led them in the song. It was a place of singing. He, they gave, what was it? They gave him praise. You see, preaching, soul feeding, is something that God does for us. He feeds our soul, right? That's something he does for us. When I open the word, I get into Bible study, I read scripture, that's God feeding me. But get this, when I praise him, that's me giving something back to God. That's why it's so significant. Yes, uh, preaching and teaching and, and scripture, God is feeding us and it's, it's coming this way. But when we give him praise, it's going that way. And the beauty of it is he inhabits the praises of his people. He's all over that. So make sure if you establish this special place during this time of quarantine, if you establish this place, this upper room, if you will, this place of consecration, make sure one of the elements that are in that room with you when you're in his presence, is praise. 
Just say, God, I didn't ask you for anything, but just simply say, thank you. I give you my praise. You are worthy of my praise. Make sure it's a place like that. Second thing I'd have you consider, it was not only a place of consecration, but it was also a place of comfort. A place of comfort. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus had said in Matthew 26, he said, listen, when the shepherd is smitten, the sheep will scatter. He was saying, when I go to the cross, you guys are going to hit the door. And I remember what Simon Peter said, man, if all these other guys leave, man, I'll be the last man standing. No way I'm turning my back on you. And Jesus says, basically, you're, you're the first guy out the door. And man, once he was arrested, remember, <laughs> around the fire, uh, Peter was singled out by this little teenage girl said, I think you walked with Jesus. And three different times, Simon Peter denies him, not me. Just as Jesus said, when the she shepherd is smitten, sheep scatter. He goes to the cross. He's laid in the tomb. John 20 says Mary comes to the tomb on that early Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday. And she comes to the tomb to finish the burial uh, uh, regimen for Jesus. They had to hurry him into the tomb. He had to be off the cross before uh, sundown uh, as the beginning of the Sabbath. And so she came back now on the other side of Sabbath to complete the process. And instead of finding a dead body, as I said last weekend, she encounters a risen Savior. What does she do? <laughs> she runs and gathers the boys up. She says, guys, you, you're not going to believe this. They were scattered. So word went everywhere. You, you, you are not going to believe Jesus Christ is alive. I, I saw him. I talked to him. I know from personal experience it's true. And notice where these guys gathered. They gathered, the Bible says, back in the upper room. John chapter 20. That room where they had first been in his presence. That room where their hearts had been searched and their souls had been fed. And they had worshipped him and connected with him in his presence. That special place, that became a place of comfort. They gathered together, and undoubtedly those guys were hugging on each other and going, man, I hope this is true. Man, this means everything if he's really alive. I mean, I, I, man, I hope it's true. And they're comforting each other. And all of a sudden, the Bible says out of nowhere, Jesus appears. <laughs> and he says, peace, peace be with you. Now, if someone you thought was dead suddenly appears in a room, that's the first thing you want to hear them say is chill, <laughs> peace, <laughs> we're all good. Settle down. And that's what he did. He tells Thomas who had doubted whether or not he had arose bodily. Thomas thought, maybe I'm seeing a spirit or a ghost. Jesus said, Thomas, touch me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. His resurrection was a bodily resurrection. What do I mean? What is the principle of the point? The point is, guys, you need a place where you get along with God to allow him to comfort you. To allow him to minister to you. To allow him to speak, are you ready? Peace into the confusion of your life. To speak peace in the confusion of your mind. I've said before, you don't have a problem. I don't care if it's financial pressure and you don't know about your job situation and all this confusion. Listen, when you get in the presence of God and you give him an opportunity, he has the opportunity to bring peace. He can bring peace to your mind and peace to your heart and peace to your soul. So many times we get so frustrated and filled with anxiety and tension about what the future holds and God is just saying, spend some time with me. Instead of focusing on your problems, focus on your problem solver. 
Instead of counting sheep, why don't you talk to the shepherd? And so these guys were learning an important principle that night in that upper room as they gathered in the presence of Jesus. They were finding his peace. They were finding his comfort. And I want to say to your heart, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a place where you're going to need that. These men were closer to Jesus than anyone. These guys had walked with him more than anyone. These were the men who saw all that he did, and they summarized it by saying, he does all things well. Never a man spoke like he spoke. Never a man did what he did. They never, they've never seen anybody like Jesus. And yet, when they went through what they went through, even the strongest men with the greatest faith struggled. And when we're going through what we're going through, and some of you guys are struggling with your businesses and trying to get loans uh, arranged and all the pressure, and you got the little boogers running around the house, and you're run out of things to do for them, and you're just saying, how much longer is this going to last? Let me tell you something. Get you a place, find a spot, <laughs> get up early, stay up late, let it be a place of consecration, let it be a place of comfort. And you'll find when you close the noise out for a little while and you get alone in the presence of God, you know what he'll speak in your life? Peace, peace, comfort. I don't know when it'll end, but I know it will end. I don't know what the future holds, but listen, I know who holds the future. <laughs> and when you establish a place like that, God can pour into your life. Consecration, comfort. Here's a third place. It became a place of commitment. It became a place of commitment. Certainly, uh, it isn't long after that Jesus leaves them in that upper room and he appears to many others. Read 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people see him. Uh, two of those disciples walking down the road of Emmaus, Emmaus, they see him. I mean, all these things are happening in the life of, of, of Jesus while he's completing his ministry on the earth prior to his ascension. But when he's getting ready now to ascend, Acts chapter 1, the apostles are with him. And all of a sudden, Jesus is taken up in the clouds from their sight. And the angel said to them, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus that was taken from you will so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. And just before he ascended, read Acts 1.8. Here's what he told them. He said, boys, you're going to be my witnesses. As I told you last week, he didn't say, I want you to be an attorney. Nothing wrong with lawyers. My best buddy's a lawyer. But he didn't say anything's wrong with being a lawyer. But he said, I don't want you to be someone to argue your case. When you argue with someone about their faith, here's what happens. You may win the argument, but you'll lose the person. Jesus never argued with anyone about their faith. What are you to do? Not to be a lawyer. Here's what you're to do. You're to be a witness. What does a witness do? A witness expresses an experience. You should be my witness. You will express the experience. In fact, that's what you do when you share a service like this. You're expressing your experience. You're witnessing. You're sharing your faith to your family and friends who may not be connected to God. And so you are being a witness. That's what he told them. I want you to be witnesses. And he said, notice it now. I want you to start in Jerusalem. Start where you are. It's God's marketing strategy, by the way. Go to Jerusalem. Then go to Judea. Then into Samaria. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. And notice what happened when Jesus gave the commission and right after he ascended, read Acts 1, you know where they went? <laughs> they went to the upper room. Why did they go there? Because Jesus said, you're not ready to do what I've called you to do until you have the power to do it. And the power is going to come with the presence of my Holy Spirit. 
And what was happening in the book of Acts, Acts is a transitional book. It is the transition of the working of the Holy Spirit from coming upon people, empowering them, and removing himself from them to now indwelling them and sealing them and empowering them for the purpose God has created them to achieve. Now, prior to that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, empower them, and when the task was done, remove his presence from them. And the reason that happened that way is he could not seal them because salvation had not yet been completed. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. Jesus said, it is, it is needful for me to leave because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. But when I go, the Spirit of God will come and he'll be with you and he will be in you and I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. And this is transitional. He was saying to the apostles, when I ascend, the spirit of God will descend. And when he indwells you, he will empower you to do what I've now called you to do. So he said, until that happens, you need to wait. You need to wait. And you know where they went to wait? (laughs) The upper room. They go to the upper room because it became a place of commitment. We know what God wants us to do. We know the purpose he's called us for in this life, but we need his power and we can't have his power without his presence. So we're gonna stay here until we receive that. And man, when the spirit of God came and indwelled those guys, you read about it in Acts chapter two, the Bible said there were thousands of people who became Christians as a result of that. And man, that little church that Jesus started when he said upon this rock, speaking of himself, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That church was, was just, it was just launched on the day of Pentecost. And those guys, by the time you get to Acts 17, verse six, the Bible says they have turned the world upside down. I, I would say right side up. <laughs> they had done such a powerful work. What was the secret? They got in the presence of God. They got into this place of consecration, this place of comfort, this place of commitment, and allowed the Spirit of God to fill them so that they could do the thing he had called them to do. And friend, as I close this morning, I want to tell you, you need a place like that. (laughs) You need a place like that. A place where you get alone with God. A place where you are just in his presence. And wow, man, when you're in his presence, He has the opportunity, because you've given him that opportunity. He has the opportunity to do amazing, even miraculous things. Nothing like the presence of God. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, I thank you for all those who've joined us for this 930 service. I pray you'll lift any anxiety from them. I pray that they'll find themselves in your presence and that in your presence, they'll be able to be encouraged. They will be able to be transparent Father, I pray you would fill them. Lord, we realize that unless we empty ourselves of ourselves, your spirit doesn't have the opportunity to fill us. So empty us of selfishness. Father, I pray that you will fill us with your spirit. Help us to see things as you see them. Help us to love people as you love them. Transform us in your presence. And Lord, if there's one watching us today who's never trusted you as a savior, I pray right where they are in this very moment, they'd humble their heart and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart now and forgive my sin. I trust you today to be my savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Again, thank you for joining us. Be sure we'll go back on in just about 30 minutes. We'll be back on at 11, another live service. Join us again. Share this with family and friends. It's a great opportunity to be a witness to the world through this technology. Know this, that we're praying for you. Our church is available to you. Uh, be sure we're trying to make our services a very interactive experience for you. So as you comment and, and uh, you interact with our staff, know that we love you and we're praying for you and we're here to help in any way and every way that we possibly can. Again, I think our volunteers at our food pantry, we're now taking care of over 500 families. And so uh, I am so grateful for our food pantry and all of those who volunteer and serve uh, in that capacity. And so pray again for our first responders, our medical personnel. Pray that our leaders have the wisdom as we open our country up again. And uh, I pray soon, guys, we'll be able to, to gather uh, in this place and worship. But until then, it is what it is. We'll see you soon. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.